Chapter Eleven of Just Patty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Just Patty by Jean Webster. Chapter Eleven: The Lemon Pie and the Monkey Wrench. Evelina Smith was a morbid young person who loved to dabble in the supernatural. Her taste in literature was for Edgar A. Poe. In religion, she inclined toward spiritualism. Her favorite amusement was to gather a few shuddering friends about her, turn out the gas, and tell ghost stories. She had an extensive repertoire of ghoulish incidents that were not fiction, but the actual experience of people she knew. She had even one or two spiritual adventures herself, and she would set forth the details with wide eyes and lowered voice, while her auditors held one another's hands and shivered. The circle in which Evelina moved had not much sense of humor. One Saturday evening St. Ursula's school was in an unusually social mood. Evelina was holding a ghost party in her room in the East Wing. Nancy Lee had invited her ten dearest friends to a birthday spread in center. The European history class was celebrating the completion of the Thirty Years' War by a molasses candy pole in the kitchen, and Kid McCoy was conducting a potato race down the length of the South Corridor. The entrance fee a postage stamp, the prize sealed up in a large bandbox, and warranted to be worth a quarter. Patty, who was popular, had been invited to all four of the functions. She had declined Nancy's spread because Mae Van Arsdale, her particular enemy, was invited, but had accepted the other invitations, and was busily spending the evening as an itinerant guest. She carried her potato, insecurely balanced on a teaspoon, over one table and under another, through a hoop suspended from the ceiling, and deposited it in the wastebasket at the end of the corridor in exactly two minutes and forty-seven seconds. Kid McCoy had a stopwatch. This was far ahead of anyone else's record, and Patty lingered hopefully a few minutes in the neighborhood of the bandbox, but a fresh inrush of entries postponed the bestowal of the prize, so she left the judges to settle the question at their leisure, and drifted on to Evelina's room. She found it dark, except for the fitful blue flare of alcohol and salt burning in a fudge pan. The guests were squatting about on sofa cushions, looking decidedly spotty in the unbecoming light. Patty silently dropped down on a vacant cushion and lent polite attention to Evelina, who at the moment held the floor. "'Well, you know, I had a very remarkable experience myself last summer. Happening to visit a spiritualist camp, I attended a materializing séance.' "'What's that?' asked Rosalie Patton. "'A séance in which spirits appear to mediums in the material form they occupied during life,' Evelina condescendingly explained." Rosalie was merely an invited guest. She did not belong to the inner cult. Oh, said Rosalie, vaguely enlightened. I didn't really expect anything to happen, Evelina continued, and I was just thinking how foolish I was to have wasted that dollar when the medium shut her eyes and commenced to tremble. She said she saw the spirit of a beautiful young girl who had passed over five years before. The girl was dressed in white, and her clothes were dripping wet, and she carried in her hand a monkey wrench. A monkey wrench? cried Patty. What on earth? 
i don't know any more than you do said evelina impatiently i'm just telling what happened the medium couldn't get her full name but she said her first name commenced with an s and instantly it came over me that it was my cousin susan who fell into a well and was drowned i hadn't thought of her for years but the description answered perfectly and i asked the medium and after a little she said yes it was susan and that she had come to send me a warning evelina allowed an impressive pause to follow while her auditors leaned forward in strained attention a warning breathed florence hyssop yes she told me never to eat lemon pie patty choked with sudden laughter evelina cast her a look and went on the medium shivered again and came out of the trance and she couldn't remember a thing she had said when i told her about the monkey wrench and the lemon pie she was just as much puzzled as i was she said that the messages that came from the spirit world were often inexplicable though they might seem to deal with trivial things yet in reality they contained a deep and hidden truth probably some day i would have an enemy who would try to poison me with lemon pie and i must never on any account taste it again and haven't you patty asked never said evelina sadly patty composed her features into an expression of scientific inquiry do you think the medium told the truth i have never had any cause to doubt it then you really believe in ghosts in spirits evelina amended gently many strange things happen that cannot be explained in any other manner what would you do if her spirit should appear to you would you be scared certainly not said evelina with dignity i was very fond of cousin susan i have no cause to fear her spirit the smell of boiling molasses penetrated from below patty excused herself and turned toward the kitchen the spiritual heights on which evelina dwelt she found a trifle too rare for ordinary breathing the candy was on the point of being poured into pans here patty priscilla ordered you haven't done any work run down to the storeroom and get some butter to keep our hands from sticking patty obligingly accompanied the cook to the cellar with not a thought in the world beyond butter on a shelf in the storeroom stood tomorrow's dessert a row of fifteen lemon pies with neatly decorated tops of white meringue as patty looked at them she was suddenly assailed by a wicked temptation she struggled with it for a moment of sanity but in the end she fell while nora's head was bent over the butter tub patty opened the window and deftly plumped a pie through the iron grating onto the ledge without by the time nora raised her head the window was shut again and patty was innocently translating the label on a bottle of olive oil as they pulled their candy in a secluded corner of the kitchen patty hilariously confided her plan to connie and priscilla connie was always game for whatever mischief was afoot but priscilla sometimes needed urging she was most inconveniently beginning to develop a moral nature and the other two who as yet were comfortably unmoral occasionally found her difficult to coerce priscilla finally lent a grudging consent while connie enthusiastically volunteered to acquire a monkey wrench being captain of sports she could manage the matter better than patty on a flying visit to the stables ostensibly to consult with martin as to a remarking of the tennis courts 
she singled out from his tool-bench the monkey-wrench of her choice casually covered it with her sweater and safely bore it away she and patty conveyed their booty by devious secret ways to paradise alley a great many alarms were given on the passage a great deal of muffled giggling ensued but finally the monkey wrench and the pie slightly damaged as to its meringue top but still distinctly recognizable as lemon were safely cached under patty's bed to await their part in the night's adventure lights out as usual rang at nine thirty but it rang to deaf ears a spirit of restless festivity was abroad the little girls in the baby ward larked about the halls in a pillow fight until they were sternly ordered to bed by the dowager herself it was close to ten o'clock when the candy-pullers washed their sticky hands and turned upstairs. Patty found a delegation of potato-racers waiting with the news that she had won the prize. An interested crowd gathered to watch her open the box. It contained a tin funeral wreath that had been displayed that winter in the window of the village undertaker. Kid had bought it cheap, owing to fly-specks that would not rub off. The wreath was hoisted on the end of a shinny-stick, and marched through the corridor to the tune of John Brown's body, while Mademoiselle ineffectually wrung her hands and begged for quiet. Mes chers enfants, it is ten o'clock. Soyez tranquille. Patty, mon Dieu, how you are bad. Marguerite McCoy, you do not listen to me? Nous verrons. Go to your room, dis instant. You do not belong in my hall. Children, I implore. Go to bed, all, toute de suite. The procession cheered and marched on until Miss Lord descended from the east and commanded silence. Miss Lord, when incensed, was effectual. The peace of conquest settled for a time over Paradise Alley, and she returned to her own camp. But a fresh hubbub broke out when it was discovered that someone had sprinkled granulated sugar in liberal quantities through every bed in the alley. Patty and Connie would have been suspected had their own sheets not yielded a plentiful harvest. It was another half-hour before the beds were remade, and the school finally composed to sleep. When the teacher on duty had made her last rounds and everything was quiet, Patty turned back the covers of her bed and cautiously stepped to the floor. She was still fully clothed, except that she had changed her shoes for softer-soled bedroom slippers, better fitted for nocturnal adventures. Priscilla and Connie joined her. Fortunately, a full moon shone high in the sky, and they needed no artificial light. Aided by her two assistants, Patty draped the sheets of her bed about her in two voluminous wings and fastened them securely with safety pins. A pillow slip was pulled over her head and the corners tied into ears. They hesitated a moment with scissors suspended. Hurry up and cut the nose, Patty whispered. I'm smothering. It seems sort of too bad to spoil a perfectly good pillow slip, said Priscilla, with a slight access of conscience. I'll drop some money in the missionary box, Patty promised. The nose and eyes were cut. A grinning mouth and devilishly curved eyebrows were added with burnt cork. The pillow slip was tied firmly about her neck to allow no chance of slipping. The ears waved lopsidedly. She was the most amazing specter that ever left a respectable grave. These preparations had occupied some time. It was already ten minutes of twelve. "'I'll wait till the stroke of midnight,' said Patty. "'Then I'll flutter into Evelina's room and wave my wings and whisper, "'Come! The monkey wrench and the pie I'll leave on the foot of her bed "'so she'll know she wasn't dreaming.' 
what if she screams asked priscilla she won't scream she loves ghosts especially cousin susan she said to-night she'd be glad to meet her but what if she does scream persisted priscilla oh that's easy i'll dash back and pop into bed before anybody wakes i'll be sound asleep they made a reconnoitering excursion into the empty corridors to make sure that all was quiet only regular breathing issued from open doors evelina fortunately lived in a single but unfortunately it was at the extreme end of the east wing in the opposite corner of the building from patty's own domicile connie and priscilla in bedroom slippers and kimonos tiptoed after patty as she took her flight down the length of the alley she sailed back and forth and waved her wings in the moonlight that streamed through the skylight in the central hall the two spectators clung together and shivered delightedly in spite of having been behind the scenes and assisted at the make-up they received a distinct sensation what it would be to one suddenly wakened from sleep to a believer in ghosts they were a bit apprehensive to consider at the entrance to the east wing they handed patty her pie and monkey wrench and retreated to their own neighborhood in case of an uproar they did not wish to be discovered too far from home patty flitted on down the corridor past yawning doors into evelina's room where she took up a central position in a patch of moonlight a few sepulchral comes brought no response evelina was a sound sleeper patty shook the foot of the bed the sleeper stirred slightly but slept on this was annoying the ghost had no mind to make noise enough to disturb the neighbors she laid the pie and the monkey wrench on the counterpane and shook the bed again with the insistence of an earthquake as she was endeavoring to resume her properties evelina sat up and clutched the bedclothes about her neck with a frenzied jerk patty had just time to save the pie the monkey wrench went to the floor with a crash and the crash to patty's startled senses was echoed and intensified from far down the hall she had no chance to wave her wings or murmur come evelina did not wait for her cue she opened her mouth as wide as it would open and emitted shriek after shriek of such ear-splitting intensity that patty for a moment was too aghast to move then still hugging the pie in her arms she turned and ran to her consternation the cries were answered ahead the whole house seemed to be awake and shrieking she could hear doors banging and frightened voices demanding the cause of the tumult she was making a quick dash for her own room trusting to the confusion and darkness to make good her escape when miss lord gaily attired in a flowered bathrobe appeared at the end of the corridor patty was headed straight for her arms with a gasp of terror she turned back toward the shrieking evelina she realized by now that she was in a trap a narrow passage led from the east wing to the servants quarters she dived into this if she could reach the back stairs it would mean safety she pushed the door open a crack and to her horror was confronted by a worse uproar the servants quarters were in a state of panic she saw maggie dashing past wrapped in a pink striped blanket while above the general confusion rose nora's rich brogue help murder i seen a burglar she shut the door and shrank back into the passage behind her evelina was still hysterically wailing i saw a ghost i saw a ghost 
before her the cry of burglars was growing louder utterly bewildered at this double demonstration patty flattened herself against the wall in the friendly darkness of the passage while she soulfully thanked heaven that the proposed electric lights had not yet been installed a dozen voices were calling for matches but no one seemed to find any she pantingly tugged at the pillow-case knotted about her neck but Connie had tied it firmly with a white hair ribbon, and the knot was behind. In any case, even if she could remove her masquerade, she was lost if they found her, for she was still wearing the white dress of the evening, and not even Patty's imagination could compass an excuse for that at twelve o'clock at night. The search was growing nearer. She caught the glimmer of a light ahead. At any moment they might open the door of the passage. The linen closet was the only refuge at hand, and that was very temporary. She felt for the door-handle and slipped inside. If she could find a pile of sheets, she might dive to the bottom and hope to escape notice, being mostly sheet herself. But it was Saturday, and all the linen had gone down. A long, slippery, inclined chute connected the room with the laundry in the basement two floors below. Steps were already audible in the passage. She heard Miss Lord's voice say, "'Bring a light. We'll search the linen closet.' Patty did not hesitate. In imagination she could already feel the pressure of Miss Lord's grasp upon her shoulder. A broken neck was preferable. Still hugging the lemon pie, in all her excitement she had clasped it firmly, she climbed into the chute, stretched her feet out straight in front, and pushed off. For two breathless seconds she dashed through space, then her feet hit the trap-door at the bottom, and she shot into the laundry. One instant earlier, the door from the kitchen stairs had cautiously opened, and a man had darted into the laundry. He had just had time to cast a glance of boundless relief about the empty moonlit room, when Patty and the pie catapulted against him. They went down together in a whirl of waving wings. Patty, being on top, picked herself up first. She still clutched her pie at least what was left of it. The white meringue was spread over the man's hair and face, but the lemon part was still intact. The man sat up dazedly, rubbed the meringue from his eyes, cast one look at his assailant, and staggered to his feet. He flattened himself against the wall with arms thrown wide for support. "'Holy gee!' he choked. "'What in hell have I got into?' Patty excused his language, as he did not appear to know that he was addressing a lady. He seemed to be laboring under the impression that she was the devil. Her pillow slip by now was very much askew. One ear pointed northward, the other southeast, and she could only see out of one eye. It was very hot inside, and she was gasping for breath. For a palpitating moment, they merely stared and panted. Then Patty's mind began to work. I suppose, she suggested, you are the burglar they are screaming about? The man leaned back limply and stared, his wide, frightened eyes shining through a fringe of meringue. I, said Patty, completing the introduction, am the ghost. He muttered something under his breath. She could not make out whether he was praying or swearing. Don't be afraid, she added kindly. I won't hurt you. "'Is it a bloomin' insane asylum?' "'Just a girl's school.' "'Gosh,' he observed. "'Hush,' said Patty. "'They're coming this way now.' A 
a sound of running feet became audible in the kitchen above while bass voices were added to the shrill soprano that had sounded the former tocsin the men had arrived from the stables the burglar and the ghost regarded each other for a moment of suspended breathing their mutual danger drew them together patty hesitated an instant while she studied his face as it showed through the interstices of the meringue he had honest blue eyes and yellow curls she suddenly stretched out a hand and grasped him by an elbow quick they'll be here in a minute i know a place to hide come with me she pushed him unresisting down a passage and into a storeroom boarded off from the main cellar where the scenery of the dramatic society was kept get down on your hands and knees and follow me she ordered as she stooped low and dived behind a pile of canvas the man crawled after they emerged at the farther end into a small recess behind some canvas trees patty sat on a stump and offered a wooden rock to her companion they'll never think of looking here she whispered martin's too fat to crawl through a small barred window let in some faint moonlight and they had an opportunity to study each other more at leisure the man did not yet seem comfortable in patty's presence he was occupying the farthest possible corner of his rock presently he rubbed his coat sleeve over his head and looked long and earnestly at the meringue he was evidently at a loss to identify the substance in the rush of events he had taken no note of the pie patty brought her one eye to bear down upon him i'm simply melting she whispered do you think you could untie that knot she bent her head and presented the back of her neck the man by now was partially reassured as to the humanness of his companion and he obediently worked at the knot but with hands that trembled at last it came loose and patty with a sigh of relief emerged into the open her hair was somewhat tousled and her face was streaked with burnt cork but her blue eyes were as honest as his own the sight reassured him gee he muttered in a wave of relief keep still patty warned the hunt was growing nearer there was the sound of tramping feet in the laundry and they could hear the men talking a ghost and a burglar said martin in fine scorn that's a likely combination ain't it now they made an obligatory and superficial search through the coal cellar martin jocularly inquiring did you look in the furnace mike here osaki my lad you're small take a crawl up the pipes and see if the ghost ain't hiding there they opened the door of the property room and glanced inside the burglar ducked his head and held his breath while patty struggled with an ill-timed desire to giggle martin was in a facetious mood he whistled in the manner of calling a dog here ghosty here burgie come here old fellow they banged the door shut and their footsteps receded patty was rocking back and forth in a species of hysterics stuffing the corner of the sheet into her mouth to keep from laughing audibly the burglar's teeth were chattering lord he breathed it may be funny for you miss but it means the penitentiary for me patty interrupted her hysterics and regarded him with disgust it would mean expulsion for me or at least something awfully unpleasant but that's no reason for going all to pieces you're a nice sort of burglar brace up and be a sport he mopped his brow and removed another portion of icing 
"'You must be an awful amateur to break into a house like this,' she said contemptuously. "'Don't you know the silver's plated?' "'I didn't know nothing about it,' he said sullenly. "'I see the window open over the shed roof, and I clum up. "'I was hungry and was looking for something to eat. "'I ain't had nothing since yesterday morning.' "'Patty reached to the floor beside her. "'Have some pie.' The man ducked aside as it was poked at him. W "'What's that?' he gasped. He was as nervous as a mouse in a cage. "'Lemon pie. It looks a little messy, but it's all right. The only thing the matter with it is that it has lost its meringue top. That's mostly on your head. The rest of it is spread over me and the laundry floor and Evelina Smith's bed and the clothes chute.' "'Oh,' he murmured in evident relief as he rubbed his hand over his hair for the fourth time i was wondering what the blame stuff was but the lemon's all here she urged you'd better eat it it's quite nourishing i believe he accepted the pie and fell to eating it with an eagerness that carried out the truth of his assertion as to yesterday's breakfast patty watched him her natural curiosity struggling with her acquired politeness the curiosity triumphed. "'Do you mind telling me how you came to be a burglar? You make such a remarkably bad one that I should think you would have chosen almost any other profession.' He told his story between bites. To one more experienced in police records, it might have sounded a trifle fishy, but he had an honest face and blue eyes, and it never entered her head to doubt him. The burglar commenced it sullenly. No one had ever believed him yet, and he wasn't expecting her to. He would like to have invented something a little more plausible, but he lacked the imagination to tell a convincing lie. So, as usual, he lamely told the truth. Patty listened with strained attention. His tale was somewhat muffled by lemon pie, and his vocabulary did not always coincide with her own, but she managed to get the gist of it. By rights, he was a gardener, in the last place where he worked he used to sleep in the attic, because the gentleman, he was away a lot, and the lady, she was afraid not to have a man in the house. And a gas-fitter, that he had always thought was his friend, gave him some beer one night, and got him drunk, and took away the key of the back door. And while he, the gardener, was sound asleep on the children's sand-pile under the apple-tree in the back yard, the gas-fitter entered the house, and stole an overcoat and a silver coffee-pot and a box of cigars and a bottle of whiskey and two umbrellas. And they proved it on him, the gardener, and he was sent up for two years. And when he come out, no one wouldn't give him no work. And you can't make me believe, he added bitterly, that that beer wasn't doped. Oh, but it was terrible of you to get drunk, said Patty, shocked. "'Twas an accident,' he insisted. "'If you are sure that you'll never do it again,' she said, "'I'll get you a job. "'But you must promise on your word of honor as a gentleman. "'You know I couldn't recommend a drunkard.' "'The man grinned feebly. "'I guess you'll not be finding anybody that will be wanting a jailbird.' "'Oh, yes, I will. "'I know exactly the man. "'He's a friend of mine, and he likes jailbirds.' He realizes that it's only luck that made him a millionaire instead of a convict. He always gives a man a chance to start again. He used to have a murderer in charge of his greenhouses, and a cattle thief to milk the cows. I'm sure he'll like you. Come with me, and I'll write you a letter of introduction. 
Patty gathered her sheets about her and prepared to crawl out. "'What are you doing?' he demanded quickly. "'You aren't going to hand me over.' "'Is it likely?' she regarded him with scorn. "'How could I hand you over without handing myself over at the same time?' The logic of this appealed to him, and he followed meekly on hands and knees. She approached the laundry door and listened warily. The search had withdrawn to other quarters. She led the way along a passage and up a flight of stairs, and slipped into the deserted kindergarten room. "'We're safe here,' she whispered. "'They've already searched it.' She cast about for writing materials. No ink was to be found, but she discovered a red crayon pencil, and tore a sheet of paper from a copy-book. Honesty is the best policy was inscribed in flowing characters at the top. She hesitated with her crayon poised. If I get you a nice job in charge of onions and orchids and things, will you promise never again to drink any beer? Sure, he agreed, but without much enthusiasm. There was a light of uneasiness in his eye. Nothing in his past experience tallied with tonight's adventure, and he suspected an ambush. "'Because,' said Patty, "'it would be awfully embarrassing for me if you did get drunk. "'I should never dare recommend another burglar.' "'She wrote her note on the window-ledge by moonlight "'and read it aloud. "'Dear Mr. Weatherby, "'do you remember the conversation we had "'the day I ran away and dropped into your onion garden? "'You said you thought criminals were quite often as good as the rest of us "'and that you would find a job for any convict friend I might present.' This is to introduce a burglar of my acquaintance who would like to secure a position as gardener. He was trained to be a gardener and much prefers it to burglaring, but finds it difficult to find a place because he has been in prison. He is faithful, honest, and industrious, and promises to be sober. I shall appreciate any favor you may show him. Sincerely yours, Patty Wyatt. P.S. Please excuse this red crayon. I am writing at midnight by moonlight in the kindergarten room, and the ink's all locked up. The burglar will explain the circumstances, which are too complicated to write. Yours ever, P.W. She enclosed her note in a large manila envelope that had contained weaving mats, and addressed it to Silas Weatherby Esquire. The man received it gingerly. He seemed to think that it might go off. "'What's the matter?' said Patty. "'Are you afraid of it?' "'You're sure,' he asked suspiciously, "'that Silas Weatherby ain't a cop?' "'He's a railroad president.' "'Oh,' the burglar looked relieved. "'Patty unlocked the window, "'then paused for a final moral lecture. "'I'm giving you a chance to begin again. "'If you are game and present this letter, "'you'll get a job. "'If you're a coward and don't dare present it, "'you can keep on being a burglar "'for the rest of your life for all I care.' and a mighty poor one you'll make. She opened the window and waved her hand invitingly toward the outside world. Goodbye, miss, he said. Goodbye, said Patty cordially, and good luck. He paused half in, half out, for a last reassurance. You're sure it's on the straight, miss? You ain't pitching me no curve. It's on the straight, she pledged her word. I ain't pitching you no curve. Patty crept upstairs the back way, and by a wide detour avoided the excited crowd still gathered in the east wing. 
a fresh hubbub had arisen for evelina smith had found a monkey wrench on the floor of her room it was shown to the scoffing martin as visible proof that the burglar had been there and it's me own wrench he cried in wide-eyed amazement now what do you think of his nerve patty hurriedly undressed and tumbled into a kimono sleepily rubbing her eyes she joined the assemblage in the hall what's happened she asked blinking at the lights has there been a fire a chorus of laughter greeted the question it's a burglar said connie exhibiting the wrench oh why didn't you wake me patty wailed i've wanted all my life to see a burglar two weeks later a groom arrived on horseback with a polite note for the dowager mr weatherby presented his compliments to mrs trent and desired the pleasure of showing the young ladies of the senior class through his art gallery on friday next at four o'clock the dowager was at a loss to account for this gratuitous courtesy on the part of her hitherto unneighborly neighbor after a moment of deliberation she decided to meet him halfway and the groom rode back with an equally polite acceptance on friday next as the school hearse turned in at the gates of weatherby hall the owner stood on the portico waiting to welcome his guests if there were a shade more impressible in his greeting to patty than to her companions the dowager did not notice it he made an exceptionally attentive host in person he conducted them through the gallery and pointed out the famous botticelli tea was served at little tables set on the western terrace each girl found a gardenia at her plate and a silver bonbonniere with the saint ursula monogram on the cover after tea their host suggested a visit to the italian garden as they strolled through the paths patty found herself walking beside him and the dowager his conversation was addressed to mrs trent but an occasional amused glance was directed toward patty they turned a corner behind a marble pavilion and came upon a fountain and a gardener man intent upon a border of maidenhair ferns i have a very remarkable new swedish gardener mr weatherby casually remarked to the dowager the man is a genius at making plants grow he came highly recommended oscar he called bring the ladies some of those tulips the man dropped his watering can and approached hat in hand he was a golden-haired blue-eyed young chap with an honest smile he presented his flowers first to the elder lady and then to patty as he caught her interested gaze a light of comprehension suddenly leapt to his eyes her costume and make-up to-day were so very dissimilar to those which she had assumed on the occasion of their first meeting that recognition on his part had not been instantaneous patty fell back a step to receive her flowers and the others strolled on i have to thank you miss he said gratefully for the finest job i've ever had it's all right you know now patty laughed that i didn't pitch you no curves end of chapter eleven recording by patty cunningham